I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. My name is Daniel Busio. I'm original from Mexico in, um, in the U.S. Navy. I'm an intelligence specialist, and I'm an enlisted Amity SITS. Great. And why did you join the Navy? I joined the Navy because during um, 9-11, I saw the towers go down, and uh, I, feel, I feel really bad. I feel like... Uh, my country, they, they adopt me. I was getting hurt. So the first thing I did is uh, I was talking to Angie. And Angie is my wife. And uh, she, she said, look, you see what's going on on TV? And I see. And, and the first thing I thought, I was like, I need to do something about it. Um, and I decided to join and defend this country that has given me so much to me and my family. My name is Angie Busio. Um, I'm married to Dan. Uh, we've been married almost 20 years. Um, I grew up in Southern California. I met Dan in California, and we live in Utah now. And um, we were pretty newly married when he decided to join the reserves um, after 9-11. We had a very young child and a couple of, like, teenagers stuff but I was very supportive of him when he decided to do that I have a lot of military in my family and I've always been very patriotic and I we felt like it was the right thing for him to do were you were you worried about I mean seeing what was going on on the news and in the country were you worried about him joining the military um I was a little bit Uh, my brother actually joined was he fought in the Gulf War when I was in my 20s. So I had gone through that before with my brother when he was gone. But um, I wasn't like really concerned with him being in the reserves because it was an active duty. And I just felt like, you know, we needed to give back. And he was really, he felt really strongly about doing that because he had immigrated here. And um, so I just wanted to be supportive of that. So Dan, so what, what brought you to America? Well, my my mother-in-law, my mother, my grandma was a U.S. citizen. And she didn't find out that she was a U.S. citizen until she was in her late years. I mean, she was older. It turns out that her father was, um, um, it was in the military, it was in the Army. He was a uh, World War II, and he was a prisoner of war in, in Germany. So when my grandma find out that her dad was, uh, well, she was a U.S. citizen, she moved to the United States, along with my father and her, my uncles. Uh, at that time, I was in the Naval Academy in Mexico. And so everybody moved here, and so they let me, <laughs> they let me by myself in Mexico. And then uh, I feel lonely, so I, I moved to the uh, United States. We arrived in Texas. And I uh, started going to school there, and um, and then that that's how I came to the United States. And so you're my family. you're applying for, you've got a green card. Yeah, I, we applied to a, uh, a green card. We uh, I got married with Angie, and my, Angie helped me to get my uh, my documents, and I got my res, res, residency. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then later on. Um, uh, in 9-11, when I decided to join the military, um, 
they took me with my res residency and uh, I went to boot camp and everything. And I I joined the military and then I came back from boot camp and I become a citizen. I remember uh, going uh, to my citizenship ceremony in my uniform. And it was very, very, very neat because everybody was like really, uh, really nice to me saying, you know, thank you for your service. And I was in my uniform. The, even the Josh there in charge asked me to say some words in, in front of everybody. So I was a little nervous, but I think they came out pretty good because mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I love this country a lot. And uh in what I what I was doing, I didn't think it was any sacrifice. I was doing a service, mm -hmm. and and so I was very very happy to become a citizen, and be in uniform at the U.S. Navy. Yeah. So okay, so you're in the Navy, and then a few years goes by before you're deployed, or have you had other deployments? So I serve a lot. Of, uh, since being in the reserve, we serve one week in a month, two weeks a year. Mm -hmm. Um. I initially became as an IT, and um, and then I was transferred to NIS, intelligence specialist. So I had to go to training to different places. And when I when I fulfilled my training, they sent me to different parts of the world to train other navies, to work with other navies. I've been all over the world, and so that is like two three weeks a, a year. But finally, my call came, and I got called to be deployed. And I got deployed to uh, Djibouti, mm -hmm. in Kenya, in Afghanistan. All these three countries in one deployment. Wow. So, so Angie, when that call comes in that he's going to get deployed, w take me into your thinking. What's going on in your head? Um, we kind of, when he switched over to being an intelligence specialist, we kind of knew that there was a possibility for it. So I'd had it on my mind quite a bit but when the call came it was still a little scary and kind of shocking and and um didn't really I mean I don't think it really sunk in until he actually left because we were doing things to get prepared and everything and not being active duty it's a little bit different in the reserves because we're all spread out and there's not like a unit altogether. so I kind of got bits and pieces of information here and there from him but it was really a little scary because we knew where he was going and um you know, and I had, we had three kids at home at that time and they were nervous about it and, you know, just trying to talk about it as a family and trying to prepare everybody as much as we could. And, and me is just trying to be supportive for him and, um, not let him be concerned about us, you know, and knowing, telling him everything would be okay. And just trying to convince myself that, <laughs> that too, I think that helped a lot actually. And just, you know, keeping the kids feeling good about it and on all that. So, so now when was that? When was that deployment? Uh, it was uh, 2014. Okay. So just a, just a few years ago. Yes. And um, can you tell us what you did while you were deployed? So being an intelligence specialist, uh, as a lot of this, I can't talk about it, but uh, the main focus was, uh, I was I was assigned to a unit uh, working with the Air Force. Um, it's Navy Reserves, um, we get deployed, it's called IAIAs. Individual amenities, and so we get attached to other branches of the military. And I got attached to uh, an Air Force um, unit. They basically what they do is they, they do SIGAN operations, so signal intelligence operations. 
and we fly over the countries in, and they are not too friendly to us looking for bad guys and just um, keeping track of what they're doing and, and helping our our troops on the ground to be safe. Being there, we call them, they call them eyes in the skies. And so that's what we do. And so I was very excited because no one in Utah has done that type of job before. So when I got that job, I was like, why me? <laughs> <laughs> because I had to communicate in the radio everything that I see. And as you notice, I have an accent. And so I was really nervous. I was really nervous. The training was very intense. And the, and the training, it was intense and it was hard. And if you don't make it, they send you home. So I always was thinking, I was talking to Angie over the phone and says, they're going to send me home tomorrow because we used to test every other day. They, they give us the material. We go through the class really hard, and then we test the, the next morning. And I was telling Angie, we, we learned everything about telephony and um, co coordinates and maps and everything. And, and I was telling Angie, I, I gonna, I'm going to be home pretty soon. <laughs> and, but I was able to pass the test every time. A lot of my friends, sadly, they, they went home. They, the ones that I really like them. And they went home, and uh, the ones that I don't like, it's nice. No, <laughs> no I, I like everybody. I make really good friends there. But um, uh, I surprised myself. Uh, I studied really hard. I studied more than than everybody because I wanted to stay. I wanted to serve, and uh, I put my effort to do that. So nothing is impossible. <laughs> and uh, whoever is listening... Uh, uh, it is uh, it is possible. Everything is possible if you so, put your mind on it. So, Angie, when he would call you and say, I'm going to come home tomorrow, what are you saying? What are you trying to do? Because there's got to be part of you that says, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. But, um, she encouraged me. I was, yeah. I She's just tried very to... encouraged to me to do better. And so I like it when she say, just do your best. <laughs> yeah. Mostly I just gave him little pep talks and just, you know, told him that we knew he could do it and... And um, just to relax and, you know, do what he was, you know, training to do and that he would be fine and um, and just tried to be supportive of him and let him know because, you know, he, he's a smart guy. He, mm -hmm. he knows. And, and we were, you know, we wanted to be supportive of him. That was our biggest thing while he was away and yeah. going through training because I know it was really hard and some of the things he would tell us, I was like, oh, my gosh. But, um, but mostly just tried to be encouraging and. You know, because I knew this was something he really wanted to do, you know, and pay back. And so it was important to him. So it was important to me as yeah, well. Yeah, I didn't want to come back to my unices. I I can't do it. Because that was just the academic training. We have water survival training, which they dunk you in a water tank and they submerge you like it was in a helicopter. And so we had to unbuckle our seatbelts and try to swim out of the the that pool with a big helicopter on the top of you. So, so, so wait a minute. I want to make sure I understand. So, so they've got you basically like a, not a simulator. It's actually a, a helicopter. Well, it's a, it's a box. They're okay. supposed to be okay. like, but, um, but the seats are going to be just like what yeah, you find yeah. in a helicopter. We, yeah. And they're going to dunk that in the water. Mm -hmm. They submerge it and then they turn around. <laughs> and then they say, okay, now get out. Yeah. And you get oh, up yeah. and. Or hold your breath. 
and now get and sometimes <laughs> sometimes you think the bottom is the top and the top is the bottom so people go the wrong way so you have to be aware and then they give us goggles they are dark they are so simulate darkness yeah, yeah. and so you don't know where you are so you have to um you have to rely on your senses and where mm-hmm. you are in and be calm. The main thing is you be calm and not try to drown, drown other people. <laughs> yeah. Try to, you know, survive yourself. So, mm-hmm. so that was the water survivor. Well, then we had the weapons training. And then, was the, then the, we had Sears. Um, right. And that, and that was hard, too. And so what? just real quick, what is Sears? Sears is survivor. What is it? Survivor. So basically, it's it's it's, um, it's training for it. you. You end up on the ground. This is how you evade the enemy. Evade, yeah. Survival, um, evade, and I, I don't. Remember I, I can't it, remember. Yeah. But basically, if you get captured, mm-hmm. they teach you how to survive, what yeah. to say, not to say. Uh, especially if you get a, a captured by a country, they obey the Geneva laws. Uh, what to say? Um, so basically, uh, they teach you how to survive, how to escape if you have the opportunity to escape, and um, how to react if a team comes to rescue. Do not jump and say, I'm an American because <laughs> you might get shot. Yeah. So basically, you know, they teach you all that stuff. So when you, so just, just again, so kind of take me in your head. You're going through this training. Yes. How do you prepare yourself for the possibility that you might need this training? Or do you just say, this is just part of the training, I'm just going to keep going? Well, the main thing they told us is because we're going to be in the tip of the spear, as they call them, uh, chances are that we get captured. And chances are that we need to know what to do in those cases. And so that's where the training becomes uh, very reliable. And they, they engrave it in your head what to do, what, you know, what to say, and basically survive. The, the main point is to survive yeah. because someone is going to rescue you. Someone, somebody is, I mean, people, um, our troops are going to try to rescue So you need to survive and be, be healthy mentally. So, Angie, does, th- does this training provide comfort? Or <laughs> you know, she didn't know that training until I came back because uh, right. I didn't want to worry her. Yeah. Because even it was a surprise for me because I didn't know that I was going to get that type of training mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I knew a little bit, and I mean, honestly, I just tried not to think about it. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and you know, I was by then I'm a single parent at home, so I've got a lot on me and trying to cover everything with all the kids and and doing that. And I just tried not to think about it too much at that type of stuff. I didn't want to have all those negative thoughts in my mm-hmm. head. I just tried to focus on what he was doing and being supportive of him and you know, telling him everything was okay at home. So I just didn't add to the stress and the worry that he already had. Yeah. And, and isn't just trying to juggle all the balls at home and keep everything going and, you know, keeping the kids where they needed to be and take care of just everything by myself. So I was pretty busy, mm-hmm. you know, doing that, covering things at home and then just trying to be, you know, I really tried not to think about the negative stuff because I just, I just felt like, you know, everything would be okay. It would work out the way it was supposed to, and we would be fine. And I just tried to focus on that. So once you get in country, mm-hmm. wherever your base of operations is, because you're covering a lot of different areas, obviously, um, how much communication do you guys have? Um, nowadays, with the internet and in, in, um, in emails and stuff, the communication was better, better than you had with your brother or even your dad when he was in Vietnam. So communication were better. We, we, I go to 
a little cafe they had in Djibouti in the base and um, connect to the Wi-Fi and sometimes FaceTime, sometimes email, this, and, and sometimes telephone calls. Uh. Yeah, that, that was actually really helpful because we were we could talk to each other almost every, almost every day, it seemed like now. I, maybe it wasn't that often, but pretty often. So mm-hmm. that was really comforting for me. And then he, he, you know, with the time difference, it was a little hard. So he was calling a lot like during the day when the kids were at school and stuff. So I had to kind of relay messages. But but yeah, that was one blessing that we had. We were pretty easily able to communicate while he was gone. That's great. Yeah. Uh, communication was a little harder when they sent me to um, a small uh, base operations. Yeah. Like when I go to Kenya or Oh, even Afghanistan, it was a little scattered. But and Djibouti is a bit, they call it R and R base, mm-hmm. where the chips come and uh, the sailors come and kind of relax a little bit. And they have pools and they have soccer, soccer, um, uh, soccer fields, soccer pitch, fields, yeah. and different activities. We have our own base inside the base where we do our operations, but the rest of the base we're allowed to use it too. So. Mm-hmm. That was a little more, more better than, than when I go to Kenya or Afghanistan. I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. So, Dan, you shared kind of a crazy experience that happened. Is that something we can talk about? Yeah. So you're out, you're on a flight, mm-hmm. and something happens. So, yeah, we are flying, and, and actually that was not my flight. Somebody that was sick asked me if I can do his flight. I was relaxing in my bed, and he came and knocked on my door and says, I feel really sick. Can you do my flight for me? And I said, Sure. And so I, I go through the motions. Uh, I gather all the information that I need to get for my fly. And, um, and I jump in the plane. The plane is already waiting for me. We jump. We do our operation, four hours in, in air over Somalia. And, uh, and everything's fine. So we land in, in Kenya to refuel. And we're going to do another four hours flying and come, back, and come back home. Oh, you know, our base. Yeah. And so... We took off. We got about 20,000 feet in there, and we're ready to uh, start our operation. And I'm looking at the window, and one of the engines stopped all of a sudden. And alarms alarms start coming in, and and then I can hear the other engine running. Says we had two engines. And then I hear the other engine stop. And then I feel my stomach going all the way to my throat. <laughs> we went down so hard. And we're going down, we're going down, the alarm's going up like crazy. So we have a pro- protocol to do um, 
every person, we are four people in the plane, and every person has their job to do. And uh, so my job is to call Mayday over the radio. So I started to send a Mayday, Mayday call. Uh, I had all the coordinates and everything where we're going to be landing in case that we crash. And, and we keep monitoring those those areas and make sure they are I'm landing. I mean, I'm landing the right coordinates that I'm sending. So in the the bowler, the other person is sending the same message over Merck. It's, just, um, it's like a chat, like a chat over there, um, you know, typing and stuff. And, of course, the two pilots are in charge to get the engines up and running. <laughs> so we're going down, we're going down, and it's commotion. The alarms are going crazy. And, um, and we are going to, um, we're looking at the cameras, and we're going to land right where, where we're watching the bad guys. So it's kind of scary. Yeah. So finally, when uh, we're about, I think I believe it's like three thousand or six thousand feet, uh, we the pilots start the the engines start coming up online and they get in kind of scattered and you know scattered and 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 so we start hydroplane to Kenya, which is a friendly country. But that time our teams they are in the ground, they are receiving our maiden call and they are waiting for us. So we kind of hard land in the field, and, uh, and so it was hard. We we, um, but we know that we knew they were in friendly country. So I opened the door, and it's like um, soldiers there, SEAL team there, waiting for us with fire stingers and guns ready to uh, to rescue us. And and so it was funny. So we uh, they they got us safe out of that because mm -hmm. it's still even even if it's a friendly country we are right in the border yeah so anything i mean people can cross the border and and attack us if you want. so 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 take me through kind of what what you're thinking as this is happening obviously your training kicks in you're doing your job yes any thoughts about how am i going to explain this to my wife yeah yeah so the first and this one thing that um i was thinking you know thinking of my family and i'm gonna die <laughs> Um, I'm not going to survive. This is, we're going too fast. And um, another thing that I was thinking is uh, at, at night before, I w we had a problem with our credit card. Uh, we had, um, I don't know if I can say the name of the credit card, but we um, we had a problem. And I called them. They solved my problem. And, and they offered me uh, double my um, my life insurance. They say, <laughs> you know, we can double it. And I said, no, no, it's like, I don't want it. <laughs> But when I was on the plane going down, I say I should, <laughs> I should <laughs> take that offer. But and so it's crazy because all these things coming in my mind. I should take the offer. We had a double life, um, life insurance, and thinking of my kids and thinking I'm not gonna see them graduate, get married, you know, and things like that. And thinking of my wife, she's gonna be by herself. She's young and still had these young kids there. So all these things, it's amazing how fast they come through your mind. But um, I was focused to do my job, but at the same time, I was I was sure. thinking in my family. So how so how quickly are you able to call home and tell your wife what happened? So <laughs> as soon as we land, uh, they took us to they put us in a car and and you know because I'm I'm the only military member in that plane. Um, they uh they took us in they put me in a special room and uh the seal commander 
grabbed me and put me in his office and says, I want you to call your wife right now. <laughs> and, oh, okay. <laughs> so he gives me a phone and I call her. And what is the first thing I say? I'm okay. Oh. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Angie, so... What are you thinking at this moment? <laughs> I, I remember this like plain as day because I was driving home and I was just turning into our little neighborhood and the phone rings and I was like, oh, it's Dan. And he, and he, you know, I answered the phone. I was excited that he called and he says, well, I just want to tell you I'm okay and, and I can't talk right now. And I'm like, what? And he, and he hangs up. He's like, I just want you to know I'm okay, but I can't talk right now and tell you anything. And I'm like, okay. So then I'm freaked out right because your imagination is actually like, worse than you know because i was having yeah. a good day i thought everything's fine i get this call out of the blue so i i like drove the rest of the way home and i'm like looking on the internet i'm googling everything like what happened in africa you know what's going on and and i had no idea so then i was really worried but i mean i knew he was okay but i had no idea what happened and i think it was maybe later that night or the next day when no, stay, he could actually call me and tell me what had happened and everything but that was probably the worst moment of the deployment was just getting a call out of the blue and saying, all I, you know, all I can say is I'm okay and everything's fine and I'll talk to you. I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, my heart just dropped when that, when I got that call and then I had no idea what was going on. So those were probably the worst hours just waiting to yeah. hear back from him and find out what had happened. So. so did you say anything to your children at this time or... Um, no, I didn't because I didn't really, I didn't want to scare them and I didn't have any information really on what was going on. I told them after I knew, you know, what had happened and everything, but I didn't say anything at the beginning. I just kind of carried that one on myself and worried about it alone because I didn't, you know, I knew how I felt. I didn't want to scare them as well. When the scary part is the, uh, when I got to, um, my deployment, uh, uh, three days before, uh, one of our planes crashed and everybody got killed. So, and it's why um, I guess uh, this commander was worried about mm-hmm. finding out. And in in um, over there, they are very clever. They take pictures of everything, and so he was aware they it was going to be in in Twitter or in in Instagram before we notified my wife. Right? Yeah, that something was happening. So, how long was the deployment? Deployment was uh, 14 months. 14 months? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because of the training day I yeah. had to do, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so Angie, what did you notice when Dan came home? Um, it was a little different than I expected it to be, I think, because we were so excited for him to come home and everything. But I, the biggest thing I noticed is he was a little aloof at first. And, um, so that was a little hard for us to deal with. You know, he, if things got too loud or rambunctious, it really bothered him and, you know, loud noise, he would needed time kind of to decompress and be by himself. So that was a little, that was hard because, you know, we wanted to smother him with affection and all that stuff. And, and so it took us a little while. It was a, it was more of an adjustment than I thought it would be. And that was the biggest thing I noticed about him when he was just kind of wanted to be to himself a little bit and and it was a little hard for us at the beginning so but you know over time it got better but that was I think the biggest shock to me I just thought he'd be so excited to be home and be around everybody because he hadn't seen us for so long but it was more that we needed to kind of let him be by himself and if things got a little crazy and chaotic which you know when you have kids and everything it is that way a lot so we just needed to kind of back off and let him kind of 
gradually integrate back into the family. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, what did you notice? Well, she's been nice to say that <laughs> because I, I was I, I was a mess. Uh, I came home and and like she said, I want to be myself. Um, uh, when I was over there, my my roommate um, he got a problem with his heart, so he was sent home. So basically, I was by myself in my in my club. So I was used to be by myself, quiet all the time. I didn't interact with anybody. Um, I just did my job and go to my room and everything. So I spent a lot of time by myself. And I used to be very outgoing before I left. I used to be a coach. I coached girls soccer. And I, we took a national team, me and Angie and I. We we coached these um, misfit girls and we trained them and we qualified to go to uh, California for national tournament and we placed four. So I was very excited. I was very ongoing. I was uh, crazy yelling and not yelling at the girls, but yelling at the excitement every time they score a goal, every time uh, they do something good. The girls, I think they love me and they love us. And it was very exciting. So when I came home, I didn't want to do any of that. I was just by myself. Yeah. <laughs> And so Angie noticed that. So, so how do you help your children with that? Because children, I don't know the ages of your children at the time, but, but especially the y younger they are, they don't, under, they don't get it. They don't understand what's, what happened to dad. Yeah. Well, they were asking. There was someone they want me to coach again, and I didn't want to coach. And I think they lost interest. So I feel a little sad for that. But uh, we had a good soccer players in our family. Yeah. So, but... Um, I should have get help, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know what. It's been in research. We don't have the same resources as the active duty, right? Or we probably do, but we don't promote it too much. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we might have to change because um, listen to your podcast. I noticed the I'm not alone. Um, um, I have other people. They they have this the same problems or or same thoughts and. And so what you're doing is great, and we appreciate that. Well, we thank really you. appreciate it. So, Angie, how did you help your kids with that? Um, I just tried to kind of talk to them and explain, because it was, it was really hard when he came home because, you know, he, w he didn't come to their games anymore, and all the girls he had coached wanted to see him, and he wouldn't come. And I was actually kept coaching while he was gone. So I thought when he came back, he'd be, you know, come back and help me, and he didn't want to. And so... Um, I think we had a girl, our oldest daughter at home was in high school, and then our middle daughter, I think, was in junior high. No, she was in probably sixth or seventh grade, and then our youngest was, like, in fourth grade. So they didn't un always understand because he would get angry, you know, when they were loud and things. And so I just tried to talk to them and explain, you know, he's been through a lot, and he's, you know, had to do a lot of things that were hard and we needed to try to be understanding and, and just be quiet and and just let him have the time he needed and stuff. And, and, and it got better over time. You know, it was a little hard for the girls at first because they were so excited to have him home. And so we just, I talked to them a lot and we just, you know, tried to spend time and do things with him that he could handle mm -hmm. and just not, you know, try to, you know, let him kind of set the pace. And, but in... I think, you know, for the most part, I think the girls understood, you know, the older ones were a little, it was easier. Maybe our younger one didn't understand so much, but mostly just tried to talk to them and explain that it wasn't anything that they did or, 
you know, that they were doing that was upsetting him. It was just, he, you know, everything he had been through in the last, you know, over a year yeah. that he was gone, yeah. that it was really hard for him. And it's, he needed time to adjust. Mm-hmm. Did you get leave during that time, during the deployment? Um, from work? No, leave, oh, leave from yeah. leave military during. lead. Yeah, leave. Yes, but uh, it's another problem there. I didn't took it. it. I went back to work right away. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so, so you deployed for 14 months. Did yeah. you have a chance while you were deployed for 14 months to come home? Uh, no, not at all. Okay. Um, so we, we, um, I did the 14 months straight. I mean, other people can come home this time, but yeah. because my job and the training that we, we received, they don't want us to break the, yeah. the, the, the cycle because they want us to continue doing our job. And at the end, they give you a little bonus if you do that. Right. Because other people other people were like saying, you know, I need to go home. I need to go home. Mm-hmm. And, and so they do leave, let you go, but they, you don't get the bonus. <laughs> right. So then so you come home, so you, then you come home from your 14-month deployment. And we're supposed to get three months, uh-huh. um, but I didn't take those. I think it was like three days. And I then, mean, and I then you went right week. back to work. Yeah. You yeah. went right back to work, too. Yeah. Well, and I, so Dan and I worked together. So, and yeah. I remember seeing him just a few days. Well, a couple, just a few days after he'd been yeah. back to work. Yeah. So, so, so was that a problem? Um, it probably I should take the time off and spend time with my girls and my wife and go do something together. So I recommend to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. But um, it is. Uh, it's why they give you that time. Yeah. So you can decompress. Mm-hmm. So now um, you're still in the reserves. Yes. How do you prepare your family for the possibility of another deployment? Well, we went to uh, DRT training. Uh, it's called, what do you call it, less stands for? Well, basically it's a post-deployment uh, training. They, they teach you uh, how to cope in case and possibly you get deployed again. Right. And something that we should have done in my previous deployment. Mm-hmm. So, were your kids able to go to that with you or participate in some uh, of that? Is that just you and your sweetheart? Just my wife, yeah. yeah. And but um, but they give us a lot of information that we can share with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, so if you deployed again, uh, what would you do different? I will. Um, I learn a lot in the DRT training, and I will try the um, take the time off. When I get back. And you notice he said try? <laughs> <laughs> he, that was not a commitment no, at all. No, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a lot of discussions about him going back to work the first time. Yeah, so, yeah. I like to work. <laughs> yeah, I know he, do, he does. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in the hospital having babies, he was at work. So <laughs> yeah. he likes to She's work. Used to. <laughs> but I spend time with my girls and, uh, and try to be more understandable mm-hmm. of the, the situation. Yeah. Because it, it, it was my first deployment, and uh, um, it was a very different deployment. It was a yeah. very dangerous deployment. That incident is it was not the only incident that happened. It was sure. other incidents happened, and and things that I saw, and people that I deal with. Um, um, so, not not our military. Military was great, uh, even though it was a shock for me because um, never been in active duty. Mm-hmm. So, reserves and active duty. A lot of people that are listening are different, um, um, you know. And so, for me, getting to military life and military day to day active duty, people is different, and it was a shock for me. Yeah, 
but uh, they were nice. But I was uh, dealing with uh, other people in, in that countries, in those mm-hmm. countries. So, so Ange- Angie, what advice would you give to somebody that might be preparing for a spouse to deploy? Well, I know um, for me, there's a lot of things that I would do differently. Um, I think just take the time, find out what your resources are and kind of build a support system because I didn't really do that. And so I kind of did a lot of it on my own, which was very overwhelming and stressful. And and it kind of got me into a place where I was so busy trying to do everything and and get everything done and and just the logistics of the household and everything that I didn't, you know, recognize like the signs of stress and things, the wear and tear it was taking on my kids. And so it wasn't addressed. And I think that, you know, that was a big thing to me, you know, now afterwards looking back. And I think I, there was a lot of things going on with them that I didn't recognize because I was kind of wrapped up with myself. So I think the probably the biggest advice I would give anyone as far as a family is to just build that support system and find out what your resources are and, um, and use them. And use them. Don't try to do it all by yourself because it's just overwhelming and very stressful. And and now, you know, I know of like I could have done this or I could have called these people or I could have done these things differently. And I maybe I would have seen, you know, address the things with my children, which I didn't really recognize because I didn't have the tools to kind of recognize them when he left before. We just kind of, you know, we're winging it as we went. And um but I think that's really an important thing is, you know, friends and neighbors, let people know what's going on, how you're feeling and what's going on with your house and ask for help, even yeah. though it's hard because it's, no, people want to help. People do want to help. And um, and it's just it takes such a load off of you mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Yes. And then you can focus more on your children and your family instead of just trying to, you know, keep all the balls up in the air that you're juggling. Yeah. Dan, would you encourage any of your children to join the military? <laughs> yes, uh, but go is in officers. <laughs> yeah, um, they have a better life. <laughs> but it is, it is. I encourage them because this country needs people. They are willing to serve in, uh, in, in um, being a military. It teach me being in the military. It, it it taught me a lot of good values. Be um, responsible and help others too. So a lot of people think the military goes in a war, goes to work, and goes to do this. But we do, especially um, in the navy, we do a lot of good things too. We help a lot of people. Angie, mm-hmm. would you uh, would you encourage your children to join the military? Now you've got, a, I guess you both have family members that are military, but you had mm-hmm. a brother that served in Desert Storm, yeah. father in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So. One of your kids comes to you and says, I want to join the army. What do you say? I would say, don't join in the army. Do <laughs> <laughs> the, the Navy force. or the Air Force. <laughs> but um, if, if that's what they really wanted to do, I would support them. I mean, I, I really believe that, you know, there's, it takes a special person to be willing to give back and to do that. And we need people that are willing to do yeah. that. We had a son that got accepted to the ROTC program for the Navy. Um, he decided not to take it, but I was very happy when he got accepted. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, in in a way, we 
we encourage we we would be happy if they yeah. decide yeah. to join. I mean, if that's what they really wanted to do, and you know, it was for the right reasons and things, then I think I would encourage them to do it. It would be, I mean, it would be hard as a mother to you know have see my kids in harm's way, which there's always that possibility, but. Um, but I think it's important that there's people that are willing to make that sacrifice and to serve. So I would support them. I have a lot of respect for people that join the military. Yeah. If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal, please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838 838- or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net. This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, the National Guard and Reserve, their family members, and their friends. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Tilton, and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, Keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.